Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to Byline Radio. Today, Partygate, the hangover. Here's what we know so far. 20 fines are being handed out as part of the police investigation into parties at Downing Street and other government buildings. Parties which broke lockdown rules during the COVID pandemic. Here's what we don't know the identity of the people involved, nor, because inquiries are continuing, can we be sure specifically if Boris Johnson himself was a lawbreaker. Now, the Met have been investigating 12 events in total, including at least three attended by the Prime Minister. His officer said that he will come clean if he is fined, but Johnson has previously said that guidelines were followed at all times and denied parties had taken place. It remains to be seen whether MPs think that he's whether he's deliberately misled Parliament. If he has, well, just a few weeks ago, that might well have been politically fatal. The PM partying whilst dying patients couldn't be attended by their loved ones. Now, even if that is the outcome, well, with the war in Ukraine, he might survive even that. I'd welcome your thoughts on what we have learned so far. If you're listening live on Byline Radio, there's a little microphone in the bottom left-hand corner of your screen. You can tap that to request access. And if you've got something sensible to say or a question to ask, we'll try and let you on. If you're listening on catch-up via the Byline Times podcast. Well, obviously, you can't take part live, but you can always send us an email to goldbergradio at gmail.com. Going to be joined in a moment by Adam Bienkoff. Adam is the Byline Times political and Westminster correspondent and Otto English, otherwise known as Andrew Scott, Byline Times writer, author of Fake History, 10 Great Lies and How They Shaped the World. Before they do, though, just to let you know that Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast, where you may, may well be listening to this, come from the Byline Times. And we report without fear or favour because we don't owe our existence to any corporate backer or to any proprietor who's telling us what to say. We rely entirely on subscriptions to the Byline Times taken out by ordinary people like you and if you do subscribe or even better still take out a membership you get a brilliant monthly newspaper the byline times but you're also helping to support byline radio the byline times podcast byline tv and our wonderful news breaking website bylinetimes.com that's where you'll find details of how to subscribe as well at bylinetimes.com Let's welcome Adam Bienkoff into the conversation then, Byland Times political and Westminster correspondent. And uh, Adam, people are looking perhaps for a, a clean end to this story. We know 20 fines have been issued, but there could yet still be a long way to go in this one. Uh, yes, it's, it's really dragging out, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's the story first emerged uh, the start of December. Um, it took a long time for for it to get to a police investigation. Police investigation, we're now sort of it's dragging on. It's been five weeks since the prime minister submitted his questionnaire. We now know that there are twenty people who are going to be issued with fines, but we don't know the identity of any of those twenty people. Uh, Downing Street are saying that they they haven't been told that the prime minister is among those, but the Metropolitan Police are saying that they they're still. Uh, they're still investigating, uh, still investigating, and, and that further fines could be issued, even if he is not among those those twenty. Um, so yes, I think it, this could drag on for uh, several more weeks yet. Is there any hint or sense of whether Boris Johnson might be issued with one of these fines, which would, of course, thereby make him a lawbreaker? My hunch is that he's not among these 20 simply because we got a statement from the Metropolitan Police um, last week suggesting that they were were starting to uh, – they have further investigations, further interviews with the witnesses. Um, I, I believe these – my hunch is that these 20 are the sort of low-hanging fruit of the investigation, the people who have held their hands up. Um, an admitted wrongdoing, um, I, and we, we understand, as we understand it, the prime minister hasn't done that. So my, I suspect that uh, if he is going to be fined, it, it will come later. But we, we just we simply don't know. He could, he could be among the twenty. At the time this story broke, there was a great sense of 
Downing Street uh, trying to delay things. There was a, the Sue Gray report, of course, the mm-hmm. senior civil servant looking into these issues as well. And it seems as though this tactic of delay, delay, delay may well have played to the to the Prime Minister's strengths, really, or, or may have worked out to yeah. his benefit. Well, I mean, he's had some help from the Metropolitan Police on that, it has to be said. Um, the Metropolitan Police for a long time refused to investigate the parties at all. They insisted there was insufficient evidence, even long up, even after photos and, and video emerged of, of members of staff talking about it, they still refused to investigate. Um, and then we had the Sue Gray inquiry, which dragged it out longer. And then just literally just before she was due to release her report, the Metropolitan Police suddenly changed their minds and launched an investigation, which delayed the report and... Uh, it's allowed, what it's done is it's allowed the prime minister to say, "Oh well, I, I can't comment. Uh, we, we we can't comment until this is over." And even today, um, his spokesperson refusing to comment, even though we now know that law breaking did take place inside Downing Street. Uh, the line from da- Downing Street was very limited. They, there's very little they had to say beyond that. The prime minister has already apologised, and he will have more to to say once the the process has been completed. Yes. His line has been, and he said this in Parliament, which is why this is ultimately so important, that guidelines were followed at all times. Now, we now know, because the law was broken, that that was not true. Mm. However, did Boris Johnson knowingly mislead the House of Commons? And that's the, the acid test really here. I think undoubtedly he he, he did knowingly mislead Parliament. He lied to Parliament. There's there's no other explanation for it. He from from the, the start of December, he denied that there were any parties in Downing Street. His spokespeople denied there were any parties in Downing Street, and that they denied that any rules had been broken. We know from the Sue Gray, uh, what's been released of the Sue Gray report, that uh, he was uh, in attendance at several of these parties that he denied took place. Um, and we now know today that the laws. Were broken it's completely uh there's no way that he could possibly all of these parties could be taken place some of which he attended and that he somehow didn't know that this was a breach of the law the law that he himself set and, and persuaded the public to follow so it's you know i may be wearing my most generous hat tonight he may have thought and this was his uh, one of his defenses that they were work events and not parties there's no there's nothing in the law mentioning a work event a work event is a sort of it's a it's not an actual concept in the law um there's gatherings is what's in the law in the law and these were gatherings whether they took place at work or not um they were illegal gatherings the alcohol was consumed uh music was played games were played these were clearly illegal gatherings. Uh, the work, the, the sort of work event term, is something that, that the Down Street spin doctors have come up with to try and excuse what happened. But it's very clear, as as the, the police have now decided that these were in in breach of the law, and there's no way that the prime minister could have thought anything different. Stay there, Adam, if you would. I also want to bring in uh, Otto English in a moment. Otto, you need to request access by tapping the microphone in the bottom left-hand corner of your screen like every other listener, I'm afraid, and I will let you in to join our conversation. Uh, but Aaron has done that. Aaron, hello. Welcome to Byline Radio. How are you doing? You're Evening, right. gentlemen. Yeah, go on, Aaron. Um, you know, I'm just I'm just sitting here in my living room in this weird phase at the minute, like... Uh, um, what, well, only just 48 hours ago, um, I was sitting down watching the Oscars and uh, we just witnessed uh, Will Smith just, you know, uh, smack some guy in front of the whole world and nothing happened. And uh, I'm just still kind of like uh, a little bit still shocked 48 hours separated from that. And then we're hearing about uh, uh, Boris Johnson and I get the feeling that he's going to once again, you know, just... Uh, He's like that grease pig that everyone keeps talking about. He's just going to slip away once again. And uh, I don't know, does anyone just get the feeling right now that uh, this, the the rules and laws just don't apply to you know certain you know uh, wealthy people in society, and all us plebs just have to kind of like deal with it? You know, Adam Biankoff was saying that the that although Downing Street has issued these kind of very cleverly worded denials, in in effect, the, the law doesn't take any account of whether they were work gatherings or parties they were gatherings and were therefore illegal and and you're saying pretty much as adam was that yeah that yeah that's the situation in your in your eyes johnson is guilty 
Well, I mean, like, uh, I think it's pretty evident uh, from uh, what everyone said that, uh, you know, he was dishonest, uh, you know, in front of the dispatch box. And uh, then it was found out later on that, oh, yeah, there were parties. Like, it's just, it's, a, it's not just that. It's like, it seems to be with anything that seems to happen with Boris Johnson. First, it's a denial. Then it's like, oh, yeah, well, maybe it happened. And then all of a sudden, you know, later on, we find out that it actually, uh, you know, was even worse than actually when it originally was. You know, just like uh, it seems to be with uh, whether it got, you know, what's happened with immigration or whether it's happened with Brexit or whether it's uh, happened with these parties or whether it's just, you know, any, anything he seems to touch seems to turn to ash at this point. And uh, it just it's uh, and it just seems that everyone just seems to be sleepwalking into the fact that, uh, you know, he's just going to get away with it again. And, uh, you know, there seems to be no real everyone either seems to be distracted by it or they just don't seem to really care. Mm. Let me bring in Adam Biankoff on that, though. So, Adam, the point I was making earlier, the, the delay and the delay and the delay, uh, and, of course, some people look, you know, very suspiciously at the fact that when Cressida Dick was Metropolitan yeah. Police Commissioner, there was such a delay in investigating, and then at the point at which Sue Gray might have answered many of these questions, the senior civil servant with her report, perhaps conveniently the Metropolitan Police, and very belatedly, decided uh -huh. to investigate, which which kicks the whole thing into the, into the long grass. We are now in that sort of long grass period. But it, it has played to Boris Johnson's advantage because now we're in a situation where there's war in Ukraine and however serious this might seem and however serious it undoubtedly is, it is perhaps overshadowed by the magnitude of war. Well, yes, I, mean, I, think, I think if you can look at what might have happened, the timing of the announcement of the Metropolitan Peace was, was very good for Boris Johnson because um, had, it, had it not taken place when it, when it did then there's a very good chance that uh, the Sue Gray report would have come out the following day and it would have had damning conclusions and probably enough Conservative MPs would have called for Boris Johnson to resign in order for there to have a, a leadership contest, which Johnson may well have lost and he may not have been Prime Minister by this point. Um, so th that was very, the timing of that was particularly good for him. And of course, the investigation dragged it out long enough that then the Ukraine war started and now, essentially, Conservative MPs have lost their nerve and he looks likely to sort of stagger on, even though the public themselves, although uh, the, the Conservative poll rating has recovered a little bit since then, the public's opinion of Johnson and Partygate hasn't changed, really. Um, people are still angry about it. People have made up their minds about Johnson and he's still incredibly damaged. But in terms of his sort of short-term survival, the timing... Uh, of the police investigation and of the Ukraine war has been very, very useful for him, which is partly why Johnson has spent so much time talking and getting, getting in as involved in the Ukraine war as he, um, as he has done. Of course, obviously it's an important thing, and, and prime minister, any prime minister would would be getting heavily involved in it. But he, he's placed particular emphasis on it because it has helped him to sort of uh, recover his position with his own party and to an extent with the public. Let's welcome Otto English into the uh, conversation. And uh, Otto, uh, of course, th there are fancy words bandied around, aren't there, by Downing Street spokespeople and by Boris Johnson himself. But many people in the country will have been unable to say goodbye to their loved ones, will have been unable to attend funerals for those close to them. I was unable to attend a funeral uh, of a friend of mine during lockdown because of the restrictions on the numbers at funerals. And whatever the fancy words, there will be people who, whatever the Met Police decide, will be unforgiving towards Boris Johnson over this. So, yes. And as you say, like thousands of other people, my family was directly impacted by all of this. So my father-in-law died, I think, uh, died in April 2020, quite quickly uh, and out of the blue. Um and I believe there were parties going on then. My wife didn't go to visit him because she was obeying the rules. My brother-in-law didn't go to visit him because they were obeying the rules. When he died, there was no funeral because we were obeying the rules. Uh, we were we were just one family out of tens of thousands of family in this families in this country who were going through personal private tragedy, whilst entitled Old Etonian Boris Johnson oversaw uh, a sort of reign of, of popping of corks as his spads and hangers-on and various uh, 
fellow ministers, employees, MPs, whoever was there, uh, sat around and, uh, and sort of carried on as normal, telling themselves that it was all fine because it was a work event and then laughing about it in that, um, you know, mock press briefing later on. The, the entitlement that drips from every pore of our prime minister, coupled with his uh, unique ability to lie to pretty much everybody who crosses his path. This is a man who lied to everybody at his school, who lied to everybody at his university, who has lied to his wives, his ex-lovers, his girlfriends, his passing acquaintances, who lied to the press, who lied to the public, and now he's lied to Parliament. And I remember when he became Prime Minister, we were told that all of this was factored in. Well, today I've been listening over and over to people describing Vladimir Putin and saying how he cannot be trusted, how uh, he, he never tells the truth, how he does this and then he does something completely different. Why are we criticising Vladimir Putin, quite rightly, when in, in our own uh, in Downing Street, we have a man who, okay, he's not invaded another country, he's not wreaking havoc and death on people, but he is a serial liar. <laughs> and and why? Way, um, he we still let people. Hold on, one at a time, please. Go on, Aaron. Go on. Uh, by the way, we still don't know how many kids he has. Oh, true. Yeah. Go on, this is Katie Jane. Go on, Katie Jane. Welcome to Byline Radio. What's your thought, Katie? Hi. He lets people down every time and every time he seems to find a way to wriggle out of it and I don't know how he does it I lost my dad during COVID he didn't die of COVID but I couldn't see him, he couldn't see me, he lived in a place of multiple occupancy, I'm terminally ill, he wouldn't let me go see him and he died he died the week before he was going to come over and visit us such a sad, sad story, Katie Jane. Sorry, uh, Sorry. Uh, Katie Jane. Given yeah. that personal experience, and you know, whatever Johnson says about the status of these gatherings, does that colour your view of him as a person? I hate him. I hate him. I actually hate him. I mean, I hate Putin. Don't get me wrong. Putin is way out of line. He's invading other countries. But I hate Boris Johnson, and I will never trust a word he says, ever. I think I think we're allowed to dis, uh, dislike people on their individual merits. I don't think that's a big one or the other, you know. Also, I, I think this is why, if Boris Johnson calculates that it's going to go away, it's a huge miscalculation because we're not, or any of us, any of the 65 million people in this country going to forget the chaos that the pandemic brought to all of our lives. And um, thousands of us, you know, I lost my own mother as well later on in the pandemic. Thousands of us have lost uh, loved ones. Thousands of us have had our lives, dis all of us have had our lives disrupted. Millions of us with children, you know, my children's education has been hugely damaged and disrupted by this crisis. So although we might, once we get through this next stage and, and sort of feel we've put the, the, the large part of the pandemic behind us, None of us will ever forget this experience, which we've all been through. It's been it's been equivalent, really, to almost going through a war. And so I think Boris Johnson might have dodged it for the moment, but the complete lack of trust and and the the drawing back of the curtain on who this sort of chancer really is, I don't think that's going to go away. So I think he will sort of limp on uh, for, for months or even a, a year or two. But I think... I think all of us will, will, and and I think history certainly will look back on him as being a truly dreadful leader during such a time of national crisis. Adam, why is it that Boris Johnson appears at the moment, anyway, politically impregnable? Yeah, I don't believe that he is politically impregnable, really at all. I mean, we saw that during the the scandal how. As soon as the press turned against Johnson, his ratings really collapsed and he became one of the most unpopular prime ministers in, in modern history. So I don't believe that he is. I, I agree with 
Andrew, that he has been um, he's been badly damaged by this this whole scandal. Whatever happens at the end of it, whether he's fined or not, uh, whether there's a leadership challenge in the short term or not, I believe he's been fatally wounded by this uh, his credibility with the the public. And I think as as bad as the law breaking is really the dishonesty. You know, there's there's an old saying, never believe anything until it's been officially denied. Well, that that's you know that's a, a bit of a jokey uh, statement, but it's actually true when it comes to the the Johnson administration. It's just, uh, I mean, all, all governments uh, tell things that aren't say things that aren't true, but the, 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 this prime minister and his press operation have just been systematically lying throughout this entire scandal right from the start. We were told that this was completely untrue. There was there was never any parties. And all the all the not only were, were the parties that the prime minister attended, but some of the members of the press office attended some of these parties as well. And it's yeah. it's just you know systematic lying. And I think that has definitely got through to people. And particularly when people have been put through what what they were put through during the pandemic, they're not going to forget that they were put through for that by somebody who wasn't number one wasn't following the rules. Number two was lying about it. And if you can't trust the prime minister on on something like that, then you, you're not going to be able to trust him on on many other things that affect people's lives. And I think- Although, Adam, I have discussed this with Labour politicians that I know, and admittedly before this particular incident or incidents mm. of Partygate came up, talking to uh, a very good friend of mine who is a, a, an elected Labour member, I'll say no more than that, and I said, what about the systemic dishonesty that seems to yeah. dog Johnson? And he said, on the doorstep people say oh, he's a politician they're all liars aren't they so there is a kind of jaundiced view of politicians generally which johnson may well be able to take advantage of and he's also seen by many conservative mps as the one person in their party who can reach beyond their traditional constituency to what we must now regard as the red wall well that certainly was the case at the last general election i'm not convinced that it's the uh the case now and he actually polls worse than his own party now so he doesn't actually reach beyond his party at all and yes i think you're right that people do have an attitude that they're, they're a bit all the same aren't they but i don't think that's particularly great for the for the prime minister and his prospects either that that sort of general anti-politics move that 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 doesn't play well for a government to have that the overwhelming sense in the public um so i i think i actually if, if i was in uh, if, if i was in labor's position i would be sort of mildly sort of optimistic about the prospects for the next general election, regardless of what happens uh, with the... I think in some ways it may even be worse for uh, Downing Street if he doesn't get fined, because I think that would, people would be more angry about about that than if he mm. actually... I mean, I, I, think in, in, I think in some ways the best thing for 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 Johnson at this point would be to to accept a fine, to apologise and just try and, try and move on. The longer this gets dragged out at the moment... Um, the, the harder it's going to be for him, particularly as, as sort of tension starts to, to dwindle away from the Ukraine war, you know, the intense, the intense sort of public interest, uh, as that starts to fade a bit. Uh, let's go to uh, Time for Change, who's one of our callers. Hello, welcome to Byline Radio, Time for Change. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. what do you want to say? Th- thanks, for, thanks for having me. Uh, I just have a quick question I wanted to ask, uh, just to throw it out there. So yesterday, the government announced that they're going to do a review into Cressida Dick's uh, sacking. Can I just caution there as well? Cressida Dick did, in fairness, resign, as far as I'm aware. She wasn't dismissed. Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, said that he had lost confidence in her and she'd only recently just been given a new contract and she then resigned. That's my very clear understanding as a result of Sadiq Khan losing confidence. Now, there were reports that Priti Patel as Home Secretary, who also obviously has an interest in the Metropolitan Police because it's the the police force that not only looks after London, but also deals with the the kind of the the high-ranking people in the country who happen to be based in London. But you're suggesting then that there's some motivation there from Priti Patel to perhaps undermine Boris Johnson through somehow getting rid of Cressida Dick. Is that right? No. So my my real my thought was uh, if she gets to walk away with you know uh, just a yeah you were fairly dismissed unfairly dismissed sorry um, if you could maybe 
not find Johnson, you know, uh, get he gets to walk away without a fine. So, yeah, there it was, it was just all uh, the point is now she has gone anyway, so I don't think yeah. she'd have any say in it. And, um, I, I don't know, I don't, I, th- I think that might be in, in, in the realms of uh, conspiracy. I don't know what Adam Biancov thinks about that. <laughs> well, I mean, like, uh, <laughs> we've moved on. Keep in mind, like, uh, there's no honor among scoundrels, so you know, don't be too surprised if you know, pretty Patel or you know, Richie Sunak or uh, anyone in the cabinet would jostle for position if they see Boris Johnson as a, as a weak, you know, uh, entity that could easily, you know, disappear from the scene. And uh, you know, there's a potential for them to take the top spot. You know, don't put it past them to, you know, take that opportunity. Yeah, yeah, okay. Thanks, Aaron, uh, for butting in. Uh, <laughs> go on, Adam. What, 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 is, is there any link here between the, the dismissal of uh, or the, the resignation of Cressida Dick and Pretty Patel somehow manoeuvring? Uh, that, that's certainly not how I see it, Adam. I've got to say. No, I mean, uh, Sadiq Khan, it was, it was purely Sadiq Khan who, who essentially got rid of her. Yes, she did resign, but she resigned because she lost the confidence of Sadiq Khan. Um, and he did it against the advice of the Home Office and Pri Patel, who uh, wanted her to to stay. There was um, an opportunity for her to to go last year, and the government decided to keep her on. So no, I don't I don't think this was sort of on, on behalf of Pri Patel in that sense. Please, can I? Uh, Snig, Snig. Oh, go on. Hello. So is that Snigda? This hello. Snigda. Yeah, yes. Hello. Um, Welcome. Thank you so much. Um, As I understand it, and I don't know the facts, the Home Secretary is the only person who is entitled to commission or decommission the Commissioner of the Met Police. So if Cressida Dick did indeed resign, her only argument in an unfair dismissal case... And the well, only Snigda, way... wait, sorry, Snigda, wait a minute, sorry. Uh, um, with all due respect, we're not here to discuss whether Cressida Dick was constructively dismissed or not. I think we're, we're moving away from Partygate and Boris Johnson. Oh, sorry, the... it's just one of the listeners was suggesting that this was possibly a big compensation claim that might be settled as I, a result I, I, of... I, I, think, I, think, I think we've... I think we've you know, we've nixed that really, snicked out. I think that as Adam Bienkoff, who was our political and Westminster <laughs> told us that Cressida Dick fell out with Sadiq Khan and it was that confrontation that led to her resignation, not her dismissal. And I'm not aware of any claim that she might make. I think she's accepted the terms of her of her departure and yeah. Yeah, she she'll get a payout. So yeah, I don't think I, don't, I mean it, it it's a mirror of what happened when Boris Johnson was mayor. And he he made it clear to Sir Ian Blair that he didn't have his confidence any longer, and Sir Ian Blair also resigned. So it's a very similar situation. Uh, Otto, you've written a book called Fake History, Ten Great Lies and How They Shaped the World. As part of that, you examine Boris Johnson and his attempt to create himself, construct himself as some kind of mirror image of Winston Churchill. The facts of whose life, of course, are fiercely contested, but Johnson paints a picture of Churchill, which he would seek to bask in the reflection of. Yes, so cometh the hour, cometh the buffoon, you know. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) and that's fundamentally the difference between the two men, you know. Um, Churchill had his massive ups and his massive, massive downs um, throughout his life. Churchill was very often uh, out of his depth in the the briefs and the jobs and the ministerial roles that were handed to him, and he, he blustered forward. So there is a comparison between Churchill and Boris Johnson, but um, much like those uh, Sats route masters that Boris commissioned when he was in London, um, they're not he's not the same as the real thing you know the the original route masters chugged away on the streets of london for 50 60 years and gave solid durable service much like winston churchill whereas they while they look good and look a bit like the old route masters the modern route masters famously cost a lot of money overheated were unreliable and were all a bit point a bit pointless really even though they look nice parked up on uh, the red route. So Boris Johnson um, has keep keeps being offered his moment. So during the pandemic, that that could have been Boris Johnson's moment to shine, but he didn't shine. You know, he retreated 
with COVID, having caught COVID, having screwed up the beginning, he then retreated to his various grace and favour pads to to finalise his divorce. He he showed no real leadership. Um, he he the, 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 it was chaotic, and and the whole all of every administration he's run, whether as mayor of London or as prime minister, has been chaotic. And he's a journalist, so he's obsessed with headlines you know he's obsessed with the news agenda there's no overarching vision and the war again in ukraine offered potentially another moment for johnson to shine and to show himself to be a great leader and although he's had a lot of plaudits for you know sending weapons in ukraine's way he's so tarnished and bruised you know like the the lebedev thing which has been going on today as well all of his associations and his cronyism and you know his brother in the house of lords boris johnson is not winston churchill in his finest Mm -hmm. hour and and he's not winston churchill in his worst hour to be honest I'm sorry, I'm just laughing at the thought of Boris Johnson. Well, I'll tell you what, listen to this, Kate Jane. Otto's got a great story. This is in his book as well. And the way in which Johnson plays fast and loose with the truth, which, as Otto says, has been a feature throughout his life, was a feature throughout his journalistic life. He was sacked for telling lies as a journalist. And Otto, there's this the great story you tell, Yeah, it's not in the book, but I I like telling it at any opportunity, so I'll tell it again. I love hearing it it at any opportunity. It's a a well-known story. It's um, the story of when he was in his last year at Eton. Is that the one you're talking about? Uh, this was the Rick story the about the woman who was given the the the, the wartime honour. Oh, yeah. Who... Sorry, sorry. That story is in the book. Yes. So when Boris Johnson wrote his own book of the life of uh, there's so many <laughs> so many lie stories to tell. So Boris Johnson's book, which is called um, the Churchill Factor. Uh, was basically tells this very long story in 1944 with the Allies poised to invade Italy. A woman working as a cleaner in Whitehall discovers a top secret file in the gutter and takes it home and puts it on her table and her son comes back and to cut a long story short they eventually return it to the war office and the top secret file is the invasion plans for Italy. And uh, Boris Johnson tells this story at some length in his book and then tells the story of how the following morning, in a fit of panic, uh, Churchill and his cabinet all meet and um, Churchill gets emotional about the amazing thing this woman has done to bring this file back and declares there and then that she will be made a dame. Um, and the, in the following, uh, no, in his resignation honours, she gets made a dame commander of the British Empire. And then Johnson rounds off his story by saying, it's defied all of my attempts to fact check it. So I was intrigued by that story because he also kept trotting it out when he was doing his book tour. You know, and you, when you do a book tour, you trot out a story from your book. And that was the story he was always trotting out. So I set out to see if this story was true. And Johnson underlines the fact that he tried over and over to prove whether it was true. I disproved that story in a, about 10 to 15 minutes by using something <laughs> called by using something called the Internet. Uh, <laughs> Google. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever heard of this. I might be, bra- it might be breaking you. Yeah, I'm not sure yeah, we'll ever thing. catch on. But there's something called Google, and and you can go into this amazing search engine, and you can search up um, the, the records of people who were given Dane command of the British Empire uh, in 1945. And I actually went back right through the war. I, my initial check was 10 to 15 minutes. So then spent an, a, a, a heavy, comfortable hour on it. And the story was complete nonsense. It was completely made up. Now, I don't think Johnson made up. I think Johnson was told it by a member of the Churchill family, uh, probably Nicholas Soames or someone like that. 
And rather than bothering to check it, uh, it it fed his agenda. And so he'd put it at length in this book and made up this elaborate story. That is Boris Johnson. Somebody who likes to tell a nice story, tell a good tale, oh, wah, 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 ruffles his hair. <laughs> he's, he's uninterested in detail. He's uninterested in the facts of the matter. He's... You know, the man should not actually be anywhere near a newspaper, let alone the reins of office. (laughs) I agree. Definitely not near any big red buttons. Yes. Uh, Adam Bienkoff, it's it's interesting listening to you feeling that Johnson is fatally wounded by... Mm. But Conservative MPs, whatever people may think of them are not stupid, and yet they've stuck by him and continue to stick by him. And whatever the polls say, at the moment, they seem to think that he is their best bet to win an election. Well, I'm not, I don't actually think that that's true. I mean, they've decided to, they, that now is not the time to depose him. But the consensus among Conservative MPs that I've spoken to anyway is that he, he cannot take them into the next general election. And they still believe that there will be uh, a chance before then to to depose him, um, but you know, Conservative MPs, they you say they're not stupid, but they have made lots of stupid decisions in the past. You know, I mean, before Boris Johnson, you know, we've had you may have noticed we've had rather a lot of Conservative prime ministers in the last ten years, um, and when they had a, had a succession of, of very poor leaders who they elected, I mean, elected you know people like. Uh, um, you know, Ian Duncan Smith, for for example. Um, so yes, they 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 have a reputation for being ruthless, but they're actually that that's not actually a, a true reputation because they they're not particularly ruthless when it comes to it. Um, they had an opportunity to get rid of Johnson earlier in the year, and they 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 didn't take it. Um, but I still think that whether even if they even if he does cling on to the next general election and goes into that general election i think the the economic the outlook that we we've we're facing um the the lack of trust in johnson the fact that we've had a conservative government for for so long we will have had a conservative government for so long by by that time i think the prospects for labor uh, at least becoming the largest party in the next general election are a lot bigger than than most people expect let's bring also, in dallas not- just click on your microphone dallas Dallasing is there, but doesn't seem able to click on the microphone. Dallasing, you've got to click your microphone on. No? Not working. Go on, Otto, you wanted to pick up on that. Yeah, well, I mean, I keep thinking about the fact that Starmer is um, quite an interesting opposite number for Boris Johnson, because, um, Mm. how can I put it politely, he's he's sort of dull but steady, you know, (laughs) and and maybe uh, a bit like... um, Sleepy Joe, in a way, although I'm not comparing the two. Not- Britain might plump for a, a steadier set of hands at the till after this sort of chaotic circus of the last few years since Brexit, maybe, and, and then the pandemic. I keep thinking maybe Britons will go for, for sanity over, over chaos, but maybe that's just me being... Um, Dangerously optimistic again. I don't know. I think that, I think a chance. Of it. I mean, Starmer. He doesn't. He doesn't seem to be exciting people, and that's certainly what the polling and sort of focus groups show us. But he he doesn't scare voters. I don't think many people are going to be scared of the prospect of a Starmer yeah. premiership. I think. And actually, of course, their most their most successful prime minister was very much of that ilk, wasn't he? Sort of um, steady and uh, steady and dull. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that's why I think at, at, by the time we get to the next general election, I think the the mood for change in the public is going to be there, and uh, people are going to feel like they want to change. And yes, they may not be very, very excited about the idea of Starmer, but I don't think they're going to be put off of the idea of him becoming prime minister. And I think that possibly will be enough to get Labour over the line. That's the voice of Adam Bienkoff. Adam is the Byline Times political and Westminster correspondent. You're also listening to Otto English. His real name is Andrew Scott, the author of Fake History, Ten Great Lies and How They Shape the World. My name's Adrian Goldberg and this is Byline Radio. If you're listening live or you may be listening again on Catch Up via the Byline Times podcast, if you are listening live and you want to join in, by all means tap the microphone in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen and if you've got something sensible to say or a question, 
question to ask, we will let you on. Just to remind you that we're part of the Byline Times network, and the Byline Times is a brilliant website and newspaper. If you take out a subscription, you get a great monthly paper, a proper old-fashioned newspaper with ink and pages and everything, wonderfully edited by Hardeep Matharu. But if you take out a subscription to that paper, you will also be helping to support Byline Radio, the Byline Times podcast, Byline TV, and all of the good works we do. You can find out more at that website. It's a great news-breaking website as well, bylinetimes.com. That's bylinetimes.com. And our selling point is that we just don't owe allegiance to any corporate backer. There's no proprietor pulling our strings, no offshore hedge fund telling us what to say. We can report without fear or favour we don't have any particular party allegiance or loyalty. We just try and tell the truth and identify corruption and other wrongdoing where we see it. That's pretty much it, really. So if you support that kind of journalism, please support the Byline Times and take out a subscription at via bylinetimes.com. Uh, Adam Bienkoff, where do we go from here then in this situation? Because as I said earlier, we're kind of in the long grass, the place to which this uh, question of law breaking had been kicked. But the grass is even longer a bit further on, isn't it? Yes. Well, I, I, I think... Uh... We don't know exactly how long these investigations are going to go on. We don't know if there will be further um, further people further fines issued. We don't know who these these fines have been issued to. Um, but we do know the prime minister spokesman said today that they're not going to name uh, anyone apart from the prime minister. But if the prime minister is fined, they will sort of hold their hands up and say that he's been fined. So we could get that news uh, if he is among those twenty. We could get that news soon and we could um hear that he's been fined or this could be dragged out uh, another few weeks while they continue their investigations and uh have more back and forth with with downing street over this issue um he was but, singled out for praise wasn't he by president zelensky of ukraine and again it's such a an old ploy really isn't it that people get involved in foreign adventures i i recognize that johnson didn't invade ukraine he wasn't responsible for it but playing to the, the ukrainian side during this war which many people think that is the right thing to do but it is also as it happens, a very helpful distraction for him as well. Well, there is this sort of mythology in in, in the Conservative Party about what happened with Margaret Thatcher and the, the Falklands War. Uh, I'm sure Otto, Otto can <laughs> speak some more about that. Um, <laughs> the idea that, that that's that saved her her premiership. And so they've been constantly, um, Johnson supporters have constantly been looking for his own sort of Falklands moment. Um, and it's sort of landed in his lap quite luckily with Ukraine. Of course, Yes, he has been praised because he's been sort of banging the drum for Ukraine. Uh, it has to be said that his actual actual record at home doesn't quite match up to the rhetoric abroad. You know, when it comes to accepting Ukrainian refugees, uh, I think the government's record has been pretty diabolical. Um, but yes, it, it's certainly he's been very lucky in in, in terms of the timing, both of the Ukraine war and of, of the Met Police investigation. But again, I don't think it, it sort of changes the the fundamentals here, which is that he's ratings have been badly damaged by this this whole affair um i don't well, i think people are very focused on the ukraine war understandably at the moment but i don't think it fundamentally changes how people see johnson um and i don't think it fundamentally changes his sort of longer term prospects either no I, and i think katie jane you know listening to you the kind of passion that you still have given your loss and people who've been through that experience themselves, in a sense, it doesn't matter what Johnson does in relation to Ukraine. It doesn't matter what happens come next, what happens that comes next. From your point of view, you've had a loss. You've been denied access to a loved one because you obeyed the rules. And here is a prime minister who was cavalier in the face of the rules. And nothing is going to change that fact for you. No. I don't get my dad back. Mm. No, I don't get him back. I don't get the time we didn't see each other back. You know, and it was only me and him and and, and my daughter. That's my family in this country. You know. Yeah, and and, and 
just it just seems to me that that kind of story will be being repeated by people up and down the country and every one of those people who has a story like that is a if you like a a bad ambassador for Barry, Boris Johnson they will be oh, sharing definitely. stories with family and friends and saying that this is a guy who did not accept the same rules as I did well we did what we were asked to do all the way through, we did what we were asked to do. And funnily enough, we've not had COVID. How many times has Boris Johnson had COVID? Or he said he's got COVID so he can go off and do something else. Mm. We haven't had it. We've followed the rules. Let's bring in Mordecai. Hello, Mordecai. Hey, how are you doing, Adrian? You're listening in New York, I believe. Welcome to uh, my life. Yeah, nice to speak to you. I- I got to correct you because I'm in Washington, D.C. Oh, so my apologies. I'm, I'm actually closer to the swamp and all the uh, fun <laughs> action <laughs> with Trump and Joe than I would be up in New York. But if I heard correctly, um, you said that these these 20 investigations that have been released or um, that the names of the people would not be released. However, if... Boris Johnson would end up uh, being found as being at these parties and breaking the laws, then the um, the Met would announce that. Did I get yeah, that? Well, well okay. yeah. So, so there are there were twelve gatherings which are being investigated by the Met, and their investigations are ongoing into some of those. So far today, twenty people or twenty fines have been issued. We understand, you know, you might think that's twenty different people, but it may not be. It may be one person, maybe fined twice for all I know. But we're talking about twenty fines having been issued. The Met Police themselves will not name people because these are regarded as on-the-spot fines, even though they're actually being levied many months after the incident. But the idea is that they're they're fines that are just levied there and then by a police officer. So the Met won't release those names, but Downing Street itself has said that if Boris Johnson is fined, it will fess up. Likewise, if the head of the civil service, Simon Case, has to issue, has to pay a fine, they will also identify him. So that's on the that's on Downing Street really to to release those names. The Met won't do it. That's that's just so to clarify. Yeah. Yeah. So that um, I'm I wouldn't be able to do it, but I think that that would actually be a very good angle for byline times i'm going to give you this assignment not you adrian but somebody else to, sure. to find out who um the people who were fined are because if they are high up in the civil service not necessarily the top but high up um or people who of influence and they're getting fined um or they're or people who are not getting fined um, I think that we, you know, as a public should, I don't know, be in, should know that, uh, be entitled to know that. Yeah, well, that's, uh, and Adam, this is, uh, I suppose, another important point, isn't it, is that whatever Johnson's personal involvement, people around him, people who were answerable to him, people within his very close circle of special advisors, of civil servants, mm-hmm. and perhaps who knows, of ministers as well, and close family members, perhaps, were yeah. involved in breaking these rules. You know, let's take out his personal direct involvement. It beggars belief, really, that he didn't know and was well, yes. aware of all this. Well, I mean, and uh, at least one of these uh, parties took place in his own flat. And the line from Downing Street sources at the time was that, yes, there was a party, but uh, Johnson was working because he had his laptop open. I mean, this is the sort of level of desperation of some of these excuses that they've 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 come out with. It's worth saying on, on identifying who these people are who have been fined. Had these offences taken place in, in a different police uh, authority area, then we would be able to know. I mean, it's the, one of the peculiarities of the British system. There's, there's not a sort of national uh, set of standards. But because it took place in London, the Metropolitan Police won't list those. I mean, but it does It does certainly add into some of the suspicion about this. I mean, really, all all, all we've got to rely upon is, is Downing Street being honest about whether or not he's he's been fined. Now, I think it's probably unlikely that they would cover it up. 
but given the sort of the scale of dishonesty over, throughout this whole scandal, you can't completely rule out the prospect that they they might actually not fess up when the when the time comes. Oh, thanks. Uh, how is that. how is this viewed, Mordecai? I mean, if people, I'm assuming that you know people who are interested in politics in the United States are at least aware of this. Uh, I may be overplaying Britain's international importance in saying that. I don't know, but do, do people regard this as potentially a resigning matter? Do they understand why it cuts so deep with people like uh, Katie Jane, who we've heard from? Uh, no, they don't. They don't look at this as. Uh... They don't look at this as a big deal. Um, this is, you know, they had a party and um, they had a party. Politicians, they're constantly, you know, they say one thing, they do something else. And uh, it it pales in comparison to some of the other naughty things that uh, the politicians here, you know, in the U.S., are doing. And so, you know, if those people across the pond, so to speak, want to, you know, mess around and, you know, have a, a pint or two, you know, they can go and do that. Um, I also don't think uh, from talking to people that um, they look so much more at the pandemic, um, at the toll that it has taken, and then, but don't compare it to the small toll, um, not small toll, but the what's happened to the politicians. They look at 800,000 deaths. They look at, um, I, I don't know the number of, uh, you know, tests or people who actually caught COVID here. They, they, that number is staggering. Um, and that's what, I don't know, I see people looking at. But at the top, um, there's just not... Um, I don't know. There just doesn't seem that kind of interest, at, at least, I don't know, the people I know. Yeah, I wonder if, Mordecai, that also reflects a, a kind of cultural difference between the United States and the UK, that there is this greater libertarian strand to the United States, which, of course, was, was played to by Trump, which is one of the reasons why the United States has an even higher death rate than the UK. And in the UK, politicians believed early on that Britons wouldn't really tolerate long-term lockdowns, and so we locked down too late and sadly thousands of people died as a result. But that tendency is even more pronounced in the United States and this sense that, well, you know, people should be free to get on and live their lives. I mean, it, it sounds very attractive, but sadly in both of our countries has proved deadly for thousands. Yeah, yeah, especially, well, not, not the US any more than Britain, but, I mean, here you have entire states... Um, that have just essentially been wiped out uh, in terms of, you know, large, you know, well, whole cities, Houston, which is a, just as an example, is one of the premier cities uh, in the United States for medical um, people go to for cancer and all sorts of different medical diseases. It was the, not epicenter, but the city with the most deaths. Um, yet people in that area, they're still, I mean, I'm not going to, stereotype them they're still want to drive around in their pickup trucks and they want to um have the rights um the rights to do um you know i don't know they they have the rights they want the right to do what they feel in, entitled to and mm -hmm. so the net a lockdown um lockdowns just didn't really take off here so. Yeah. Uh, Otto, I want to ask you about that. I just don't wonder if you've got a thought on it, because it, it strikes me that yeah, British politicians of the right were wary of lockdown. But actually in Britain, I think partly because of the National Health Service, where we have a hugely respected national institution that does tell us actually big government can be good, that people, I think, here are more inclined, and we're only talking tendencies here, uh, more inclined to be accepting of a government saying we need to lock down and saying, oh, yeah, all right then. Yeah, well, I, I, what, what's been interesting to me, looking, I mean, obviously, you've got to be wary of opinion polls, but the polls over and over again showed that people supported lockdown, supported the measures, 
people, people, the British people, uh, you know, across the four nations, really rose to the um, rose to the challenge, and 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 really put, made sacrifices and um, and put up with it for the for the greater good. I mean, it's the public generally, I think, responded extremely well. Yeah, you've got this noisy idiotic libertarian sort of fringe group of shouty people on talk radio and elsewhere who um who you know who who one inch almost away from saying that it was all a waste of time but i think most british people um were remarkably sensible and put their faith in the nhs and their faith in the measures which makes the sort of betrayal of them the fact that the politicians were essentially laughing behind their backs at their sacrifice all the more galling really um i mean i think that i mean that's certainly what what made me on a personal level angry uh, and i think um i think we sh- i think we should be angry I, I i boris johnson makes me angry <laughs> i don't mind a bit here you know I, i'm not luckily i'm not a you know, I'm not a I'm not a professional career journalist like Adam is. I have to sort of balance things out. I'm, I'm much more of an opinion giver. Um, but I, I'm furious with them, and I think we all should be with all of them. They're 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 they've been utterly dismal, <laughs> and um, the British people haven't. So there's something to be proud of. Maybe maybe rather than waving our Union Jacks and. Um, putting circles of police officers around Winston Churchill, we should celebrate the British people who put up with so much and rode so nobly through it for this pandemic. Let's wave our masks and our lateral flow tests. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's, yeah. Let's, let's, let's speak to uh, Tamara. Tamara, welcome to Byline Radio. You're right. Hello there. Um, I think that we have to, for anybody that um, maybe doesn't live in England, look at this in context. We had just gone through two years of, and this steady drumbeat of corruption coming through in the press for the PPE contracts, the the way that the NHS was let down so badly by this government, the amount of people that died because of their failure to take it seriously. And then we, we probably had the, the harshest lockdowns. I luckily didn't lose anyone, but I do live alone and I am a hairdresser. So I was locked in my house for the entire time by myself, which I was happy to do because it was for for the greater good. So then see on TV that people are laughing at us. It's unforgivable and it's definitely not trivial. And I'm sick of seeing the way that some press are trying to uh, phrase this as should we now forgive him? No, he doesn't deserve our forgiveness. He deserves nothing from us. One thing it's done, tomorrow as well, and this might be a digression, but I'm the host, so I'm allowed one, is that it seems to me that this has emphasised the difference between England and the rest of the United Kingdom. England went far more quickly into a an acting like normal stage. No compulsory mask wearing anywhere in public. No need to even self-isolate if you felt okay, even if you've tested positive. Now, Scotland and Wales in different degrees in particular have adopted a rather more cautious approach to COVID compared to England. And it's ironic to me that the Conservative Party seeks to be the Conservative and Unionist Party and whether it's to do with COVID, whether it's to do with the Northern Ireland Protocol, the attitudes and the behaviour of the Conservative Party have actually emphasised the divisions that there are in these islands. I'm in Scotland. We're still under a mass mandate. People aren't following it. We're still under it. Yeah, yeah. And I just want, you know, when I, I I know Scotland well, and I love it, if that doesn't sound patronising to somebody who isn't a Scot KJ, but you know, I, the, the, the ordinary people of Scotland looking at someone like Boris Johnson. I mean, obviously, Scotland tends not to vote <laughs> Conservative anyway, but no, we're not. It, you, you, could, you, could, you could imagine a different leader 
perhaps uniting England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland in a way that it seems to me Johnson has spectacularly failed to do. Oh, yeah, Johnson has not brought Scotland any closer to England at all. Like, it's really not. I mean, if anything, he's just made us feel worse about the north of England, about the south of England, sorry, and in particular Boris Johnson, (laughs) because we're up here and we're still wearing masks. Most of us, most of us are still wearing masks and keeping our distance and looking at what's happening in England and thinking, I mean, for someone like me who's clinically extremely vulnerable, thinking, well, I can't go out. I can go out up here with a mask on in public. I can go out up here. I wouldn't feel safe down south. Yeah, I think, I just think, go on, Adam. Sorry, you wanted to join in on that. I think that's right. Johnson definitely has exacerbated the divide uh, between Scotland and the rest of the UK. I mean, he's spectacularly unpopular north of the border and yeah. unpopular amongst his own party. Um, every single uh, Scottish Conservative called for him to resign um, just a month or so ago. I mean, that's that, that was that was recently retracted so, in so that he could attend their conference. But the fact that that happened in, in the first place is, is pretty unprecedented. I was on a bus in Wales, in Newport, and it was at a time when the restrictions were different in my home city of Birmingham, in England, than they were in Wales. And I mistakenly got on the bus in Newport, going into the city centre without a mask. And people looked at me and nobody picked me up on it. But I felt so bad because everybody else on the bus was wearing a mask just because it was the right thing to do yet in england the conservative right have given us this notion that it's it's somehow illiberal but if you are a person who has a medical vulnerability the decision to allow people to go around without masks in england and infectious Sorry, yeah. And infectious. Has, 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 has meant that those people who are medically vulnerable have effectively had to shut themselves away. And it's a sense of, it's an ideology that says we, we can all be trusted to look after ourselves and do the best thing by other people. It's incredibly, almost ludicrously optimistic. And I, I know of people who do not go out because... The non-wearing of masks is so prevalent now in England that they fear that their health would be seriously at risk mm. because of the non the non-mask wearing. It's the really. it's the common it's the common sense uh, attitude, isn't it? Which is very libertarian. There's the whole common sense caucus, the the common sense group within the Conservative Party in Parliament, and. Um, you know, common sense is a, is a nonsense idea. <laughs> one one person's idea of common sense is completely different to somebody a metre away, you know. Um, and, of course, if you have well, got... Well, Otto, Otto was, uh, somebody I used to know worked for a record company, like yeah. Patricia Winkleman, Patsy Winkleman, who used to work for a record company in London, just said to me once, common sense ain't common. And that's the trouble yeah, with the common sense. It's so true. It's so true. And, and I, think, I think Johnson's thing initially was, you know, just like he wanted to get Brexit done, he wanted to get coronavirus done because he was sort of impatient with it. He's a, yeah, it, he's sort of, you know, it's like, let's just get it done and imagine it's not there and all will, and all will be well. And sort of, idiotic um, approach which which is why they which is why they pursued herd immunity uh, initially and were clearly pursuing that policy up until they point they rise that everybody would die it honestly does feel like they've just thrown their hands in their air and, in the air and gone well we don't know so move on yeah. <laughs> it's impossible to hear you saying that Kate Jane though without thinking of it in that very particular English accent. Oh, come on now, everybody. Time to move on. Yeah. It's so meshed in with these ideas of class for me. But anyway, uh, Tamara wanted to make another comment. Go on, Tamara. I just think it's, um, it is 
exactly what the Conservative Party do, isn't it? They don't care about disabled people. They don't care about anyone that's vulnerable. They don't care about asylum seekers. They don't care. So to think that they would all of a sudden care during a pandemic is uh, giving them too much credit, I think. <laughs> OK, let's bring in uh, Jamie Brown. Hello, Jamie. Just click your microphone on, Jamie. No, we can't get Jamie by the look of it. One last go, Jamie. Go on, try speaking. No, no good from Jamie. I'll tell you what, this has been a great conversation, but I know we've all got um, other things to do this evening, so uh, <laughs> Jamie's rustling away. Oh, go on then, Jamie. Have the final word if you can speak. Go on. No, it's not going to happen, is it? Never mind, Jamie. In fact, I'm going to remove Jamie from the speakers, not because he's done anything wrong, but because uh, that rustling's quite uh, disruptive. Um, thanks, everybody. Thank you, Adam. And uh, I know you said you might only stay for 20 minutes, so uh, I hope we haven't tested your patience too much. No, no. Think, uh, you, I hope you'll come back again despite being on for a, a good chunk of time. It's been great to speak to you. Thank you. And, thank you. Uh, and uh, thanks to Otto English, a.k.a. Well, Scott, who, uh, as always, well, we know you'll come <laughs> back again. We can't shoot yeah. you. <laughs> I don't, well, I don't, have, you know, I don't have a social life, so... This is this is the only thing I can do in my time. I mean, thank you and thank you for having me. And thank you everyone for listening. Yeah, thank you to Kate Jane, thank you to Mordecai, thank you to Tamara, and thank you to Aaron earlier, and to everybody who took part. If you're listening on the Byline Times podcast on Catch Up, obviously you can't join in live, but as I said earlier, you can drop me an email to goldbergradio at gmail.com. Just stay tuned to our Twitter stream, at Byline Radio. We've taken the decision that it probably doesn't make sense to have a fixed time and day for these broadcasts, but we're going to do quite a lot of them, uh, as and when, really. So just keep your eyes on at Byline Radio and join in whenever you can. It's really appreciated. And then pretty much on every occasion, and that's not a guarantee, we will try and put these uh, discussions up on the podcast as well. But if you want to hear them live and join in, at Byline Radio on Twitter is the place to be. And please just support the Byline Times. We are independent of any interest other than that of telling the truth and trying to expose some of the big structural issues that underlie the way that Britain operates, rooting out the corruption that undoubtedly exists and trying to shine a light on some of the the interests that try and play with our lives. So do take out a subscription if you can uh, via bylinetimes.com. Take out a subscription to the Byline Times. Thank you very much indeed. We'll see you all again soon. Thanks for listening.